Drama School. I'm your host, Grace Jung. I am very glad to be finished with Chiri's Han, which I am going to be talking about today. This is a show that's been out for at least a couple of years now, but I didn't really get into it until like literally last week because I found it on Amazon Prime. Did you know that Amazon Prime has a lot of Korean dramas these days? I didn't know that. I think Amazon Prime is also like claiming some of the K-dramas to be an Amazon Prime original, which as you know, you and I know, I mean, if you're my listener, a longtime listener, you all know that um, Amazon or Netflix or Disney Plus or Hulu, they will just put these labels like, like it's their own original when really they acquired the show and it was produced in Korea and then they just acquired it and they just kind of put their label over it, right? Just means that they have exclusive rights over it. Chidi-san is not an Amazon Prime exclusive. It's also found on Viki. Uh, but yeah, it's on Amazon Prime. So if you have Amazon Prime, then go check out some of the shows. It is a 2021 TVN Korean drama written by Kim Eun-hee. And it stars Chun Ji-yeon and Chu Ji-hoon, right? And uh, Kim Eun-hee has worked with both of these actors with her previous series, Kingdom. And Chun Ji-hoon is in the prequel film that ended Kingdom. And Chu Ji-hoon is the prince, the crown prince who is in the first two seasons well the only two seasons of kingdom i think they're gonna work on something else like a so like a spin-off of kingdom with Hoon in it i think i saw something about that floating around who knows um but yeah excellent pairing i really like both of these actors like on their own separate accord you know chun jian's very beautiful I'm always like going on about how much I love her comedic timing and her comedic acting ability. And Chu Ji-hoon, as I've all told you, like I found him really unimpressive in that series, Princess Hours. But then like years later, now that he's like mature and fleshed out and, you know, he's like he's like really hot and he's an excellent actor. So I appreciate both of these actors and I think they have pretty good chemistry on screen on this series, even though it's not like a romantic chemistry throughout. In fact, there's very little suggestion of romance between these two characters for the most part. Yeah, for the most part, it's like kept very professional. And I wonder if that is because uh, Chun Ji-yeon's character is the senior. Yeah, like the female character is the senior and the male character is the junior. So he's like a little bit more, I don't know, careful with (laughs) how he approaches her. Whereas I felt like if it was the other way around, um, I think the male character would have been a lot more like aggressive. Like, I mean, I I already talked about this, but if you guys haven't seen the show Beautiful Days, yeah, check it out. It is like the most like Me Too worthy series of all time, you know, because there's this like director who like is into this, uh, you know, retail sales clerk, and he is so aggressively, like, not, uh, you know, just not kosher. It's, like, really, like, unwelcome. Anyway, just check it out. You, you'll know what I mean. But this show is very, it's very much the opposite. A lot of professional decorum, professional respect, blah, blah, blah. Perhaps, um, I don't know, maybe they don't even end up, like, together. But actually, no. Like, from from what I've seen in the ending of Chirisan, yeah, it's, like, very much, like, ending on a romantic potential. That's where it ends. If you're trying to see, like, a like a romantic series, this is not the one. Yeah. Chirisan is unique because a lot of television series in both Hollywood and in Korea, they'll focus on, like, other kinds of 
I don't know, heroic careers. Like you have cops, you have firefighters, you have lawyers, and you have, I mean, I think that's about it. But in Chirisan, they're focusing on mountain rangers. And mountain rangers really are unsung heroes in the sense that their work requires a lot of grit and perseverance. It's a dangerous job and it's a dirty job. And yet they're not really the focal point in many shows or movies, right? But it's it makes sense that these mountain rangers would become the center point of a show because there are plenty of situations that could go wrong in the mountains right, when people are hiking. And, you know, people definitely do ha- die from hiking. Uh, so, yeah, there's a lot of fodder for this show in terms of conflict, in terms of things that could go wrong, in terms of chaos, in terms of disasters. Kim Eun-hee is a very accomplished writer when it comes to non-linear storytelling. And this is something I felt very much so while watching Chirisan especially, because she's done this with her other shows like Signal. Uh, but I think Chirisan is particularly great at unraveling the mystery layer by layer through like engaging storytelling through this sort of dynamic play between the present and past through flashbacks and like present day mystery crime solving, right? And it is also interesting how well Kim Eun-hee can balance the fantastical with the real. Like in all of her shows, pretty much, she always like infuses this element of the fantasy. Like in this case, like in Chirisan, you have the guy who's like in a coma, but his soul is wandering around the mountains. And that soul is, um, I don't know, sending signals. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like in that show Signal, you have like like a similar kind of situation, but it's like a person in his past who can communicate with the future through a walkie-talkie, right? Uh, so you always have like these kinds of, you know, fantastical things inter- so, sort of infused with the, the realism of a show, like the verisimilitude of a show with you know, like concrete things it's like, oh, there are people, there are certain, you know, conflicts, certain struggles, like this is all relatable in human terms. But then she'll also like add a layer of like, oh, there's also like ghosts. <laughs> oh, there's also time travel, you know, she'll like throw them in there. But I think she does it pretty like, I don't want to say tasteful, because that's not quite what I mean. I think she does it in a way that is entertaining. Yeah, she does it in a way that's very, very entertaining. A villain on this show who becomes a villain because of his uh, severe childhood trauma. And then he uses this trauma as an excuse to murder a whole bunch of innocent people in the mountains. And the thing about traumatized people that um, I'm increasingly learning is that they're very good. Well, I'm, I'm also part of it. We're all very good at reading people. I'm not to the point of like reading minds, but there are definitely like psychopaths or people with like severe personality disorders who can read minds. And it's not that they could like literally see into your mind. In some cases, yeah, they can. But it's like um, there are some who could just read your body language and your eye movement, your facial movement. Like they could read your aura and your energy, your vibration, and they could just like tell exactly what you're thinking and they could finish your senses. And, you know, like, that's fucking terrifying, right? And my question to that, 
you know, when people do that to victimize or manipulate people, my question is, why don't you use that skill for good? <laughs> you know, like there are plenty of people who get paid to do precisely work like that as mystics, as psychics, as healers. You can go in that direction, you know, or as a therapist, like whatever, a teacher, whatever. There are people who do that. And then there are people who decide to use that for their own uh, evil gain for their own vindictive purposes and like my my question is like why like why you gotta be evil man like why can't you just be good you know so this is just indicating to me that everybody has a choice every individual has a choice like are you gonna lean into what you've suffered and use that as a reason to I don't know, like create more shit in the world? Or are you going to lean into that as a gift and as a skill to bring more good and healing and happiness into the world, right? I mean, this is a choice that you can make. My favorite cameo appearance in Chirisan is uh, Son Sapku, which I'm sure many of you have already guessed if you've seen the show. And uh, you all know that Son Sokku is like my guy right now in terms of the K drama, like Hari, the person I'm into. Like Son Sokku is like up there. I love him, and I literally gasped when his face popped up on the screen, like as this special cameo appearance, because I was not expecting it, not in the least, you know. And I think this is just like a, like a gift from the universe, telling me that yeah. Like, you know, Disney Plus fucked you over by promising plenty of Sunsaku by, you know, falsely advertising that he's like one of the primary leads of, of that horrible show, Casino. But he was not. It was a full on lie. He didn't show up until like the very, very end. And so that whole show was like a big fat waste of my fucking time. But like on this series in Chirisan, when I was least expecting him, he like shows up and he's playing like like a romantic kind of role, you know, like kind of like this flirtatious, like ten tension, like love tension, sexual tension between him and uh, Yi Gang on the show played by Chun Jian. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, like I was not expecting that. So it was like this awesome cameo appearance, you know, it like really made up for it. And the other thing I noted, and this is something I've always like noted in my mind silently to myself, but like. Chun Jian has such a beautiful voice. She has a very pleasant sounding voice that I could like just keep listening to. And I think that's another testament to her, I don't know, performance ability, to a testament to her destiny as an actor. Yeah. Uh, she has like such a pleasant sounding voice. I could just like listen to her all day. And I think that's why, like, because she's almost like delivering her lines in like a whisper, it's it's the contrast when she starts like amping it up and she starts like yelling a lot on a show or in a film, like when she's like playing up a character, I think it becomes funnier because her voice is usually so whispery and low. That contrast, you know, definitely heightens the comedic uh, impact for sure. One major issue I have with Chirisan is that, okay, like on the one hand you have you have uh, Chen Jian's character who is like wheelchair bound. She's a person with a disability. And I'm like, okay, great. Like we have a hero who has a disability. That's great. But then like in the end, suddenly out of nowhere with no like what? No explanation whatsoever. She's suddenly walking. <laughs> and that moment is romanticized in the mise-en-scene, you know, like 
um, her feet come out first from the car. And when she stands up, it's like the music comes in and it's like, oh, like this awesome moment. It's like, oh, the hero got her legs back. But I'm like, how? Like she was in a wheelchair for what it seemed like at least a couple years or no, is that wrong? In any case, I'm like, she was in a wheelchair, which is to say that she lost the use of her legs. And um, what's wrong with that? You know, like, I mean, the expectation of a cure of a disability is always lingering or like that's the destination point in all K-dramas that feature disabilities, which is a lot of K-dramas. Many K-dramas have disabilities in them. And throughout most of them, it's like, oh, the expectation is, oh, they're going to be cured of this. And the cure and the healing of it is going to be the ending. And it's like, well, why does that have to be the case? I mean, there are plenty of people who live with a disability like their whole entire lives. And they still lead a fulfilling and satisfying life. But I'm sure those people would appreciate a character who is living with a disability all throughout. And if she is no longer a person with a disability, if she is now a person who has recovered, then it's like, well, what was, what were the steps to that recovery? Like, why is that not shown at all? Why is it just like randomly thrown in? Like, oh, she can walk. Did she see Jesus? You know, like in the previous episode that they cut out, what's going on, right? Today's guest is illustrator and author Deb J.J. Lee, whose book In Limbo was published last month by First Second Books. And it is a beautifully illustrated book that explores growing pains and joys of a kid who is transitioning from middle school into high school while also navigating cultural differences, identity questions, child abuse, grades, creative expression, and friendships. And it's a wonderful book that I think everybody should read on their tablets while having lunch at the Cheesecake Factory, which is exactly what I did. So let's talk to my guest, Deb J.J. Lee. What's the cat's name? Marley. Hi, Marley. Yeah, but like, oh, what a pretty she's, cat. She's uh, really pretty. Um, I actually adopted her from this old lady who like passed away. And I think like her name oh. is supposed to stand for Marlene. Mm-hmm. Like, but I like to think that her name stands for Marlboro, like the cigarette company. Yeah. So I like Way to better. imagine her. Yeah. I like to imagine her as like a like a chain smoking cat. Yeah. Oh yeah. Gotta have the badassness. Yeah. In the family, no, she is more badass than me. Um <laughs> she only has three teeth left. Oh, she's an older cat. No, she's not. You know, she came with four teeth when she was like three. But I oh. think like when she was a kitten, like her teeth were her gums were like rotting or something. So they had to like pull out all her teeth. And then in January, like the infection spread or something, something spread. And now like they pulled out one of her teeth and now she has three left. But they found like pus underneath the uh. tooth. So she was like in a lot of pain. I'm like, yeah. oh, like, yeah, that explains a lot actually sorry i'm gonna sneeze never mind um but yeah how um where are you located i'm in la oh yeah oh my gosh so it's like super early for you a little but it's okay (laughs) gives me an excuse (laughs) to wake up early sure do you have like do you work a full-time job no i i'm a writer so i do that and i'm a stand-up comic so i do that so my hours are my own but uh nice 
Yeah. So it, like I, I usually wake up at like 10, but I'm like, well, you know, <laughs> sometimes it's better to wake up earlier in the day. Yeah. Yeah. Do you find, I mean, like also as like a freelancer myself, do you find that like, um, do you find that like you're not only your own boss, but like you also feel like your own shitty unpaid intern? Of course. Absolutely. Yeah. No one really talks about being the intern. There's so many things that I wish I could just like assign to an assistant. And yeah. but no, I have to do them all by myself. <laughs> yeah, right. It's like, yeah. oh, it's like it's like you have no one to blame but you if like something goes wrong. It's like, well, yes, it's my fault. A hundred percent. But you know, it's like all those yeah. shitty internships that I've done, like they've paid off in a way because now I know how to do them, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. I just know how to right, do Right, exactly. The grunt work which is a, a key foundation in any company like you need the administrative basis so yeah thanks so much for joining me for this chat i really loved your book congratulations thank you thank you how um where did you hear about it i'm i'm, I'm friends with another uh illustrator and she's a she's an author her name's kat min and she's a korean american children's book author and okay. uh yeah we've been friends since high school and uh oh yeah she and i are working on a film together at the moment so like we just like talk regularly and recommend works to each other and she was like oh i i got this book and it's really good and i think you'd enjoy it so she recommended it to me and i don't read graphic novels often but like Mm -hmm. like the ones that I like I follow like Mari Naomi like I really love her work and um, mm -hmm. yeah so I was like okay let's check it out so I went to the Cheesecake Factory that day it was like my artist good state, you know and I read the whole book at the bar <gasps> at the Cheesecake Factory I loved your book yeah thank yeah. you I mean that is the only way it should be read you know yeah, at, the, at, the at the Cheesecake, cheesecake Factory, factory. The I mean was the yeah. book as I mean was the menu as thick as the book <laughs> probably i actually read it's your book on my tablet and oh, nice. um i'm like oh like the tablet is the perfect way to read a graphic novel actually because it's like i mean yeah it's like compact. a webtoon yeah, yeah yeah i was like this is perfect like i could just sit here i could just swipe with my fingers i could read it clearly I was like, this is the greatest way to read. So I'm going to read more graphic novels, if anything. Like, Nice. Good choice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, also, I can also recommend you some that, please. you know, really affected me. Please, please. That was going to be one yeah. of my questions anyway to ask you about your influences. But yeah, what are you reading oh, these perfect. days that's exciting you? Um, oh, Man, well, I'm rereading Grass, hmm. um, which is a, oh man, who's the author? I need to figure this out grass right. drawn in quarterly no it's okay um i hear the click clack it is by it's about um like comfort women in korea but it's oh, like a it's like a uh it's like a biography so it's oh. like it's it's legit like it's by a person it's written by a person who is recounting a former comfort woman from the from the Japanese occupation. Got but it. let's see. Yeah, the name is Kumsok Gendry Kim. Okay. Got it. Yeah. I'm glad that uh, I'm glad that a Korean American person wrote it. 
Oh no, um, I mean it's it was no, it's written. So it was actually translated. So it was a Korean. Got it. Got it. Written. That's even better. Uh, for, actually. Yeah, yeah. So it's a Korean person, a Korean um, graphic novelist who wrote about a different Korean like woman who was a comfort woman, and it was translated re- not too long ago oh. by Drawn and Quarterly. Um, so yeah. now it's in our hands now, and it's Perfect. so. It's so heartbreaking. It's like, because we don't really, I mean, like, I don't really hear much about comfort women, women, um, but like when you hear about like the way that they were treated and you just, I don't know, there's something with like me and like watching like Korean people suffer, (laughs) like especially older Korean people suffer that like, it just like hurts a lot. Um, Devastating. So I couldn't even, Yeah. I mean, it's a thick book, but I couldn't get through like twenty pages without like putting it down and just like sobbing, breathe, and then yeah, 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 it's just like, damn, like we don't really hear about, like, I don't know. I feel like the whole model model minority thing, just like we don't really hear about the like Koreans that are, you know, like they're just like middle class people. You know what I? Do you know what I mean? Like. Yeah. Like yeah. we only hear about like Koreans who are like doctors or like Asians who are like doctors and stuff and like the success really stories. Like, yeah, but the mm-hmm. you only hear about the success stories, but like what is it? Something something um the wealth gap between mm-hmm. the poorest and mm-hmm. the richest Asian Americans is like the highest mm-hmm. among most demographics mm-hmm. in America. Yes, yes. And and the model minority tragic. myth is, you know, used by right-wing media to justify uh, America and American democracy and capitalism as yeah. a system that works 100% of the time. And it's also used to, um, you know, disparage the black and brown communities for, you know, mm-hmm. um, for systemic failures. But, you know, it's like used to blame them. And, you know, I yeah. hate that I hate that we're used as literal poster children, just as we have been used right. since, since the Korean War. Like we were literally used as poster children by Americans to justify that America is not a racist country while there were civil rights movements happening all across the country in the 50s. Right. So, um, right. Yeah, it, it has a deep history of that. And actually, that goes to the heart of what I want to talk to you about your book and the reason why it resonated so much with me when I was reading it because you talk about all of the things that I wish somebody had talked about when I was in middle school you know like when I when I was in high school um because uh you know the opening is basically like about uh this young girl who who feels insecure about the way she looks right and Mm -hmm. it's very specific it's her eyes right Mm -hmm. and this is like the whole thing about like sangapu is this cultural thing that a lot of you know korean kids know about and talk about and it's like part of the culture really but it's so foreign to non-koreans you know yeah so um like i remember uh even when i was a kid just like hearing about it seeing other kids who got it like they would go to korea they would come back and they would look different it was like a whole thing yeah um but uh yeah like what made you want to start the book out with that 
particular insecurity with this character, Deb? Yeah, I mean, it was always something that I measured about myself. Like, I would do, like, crazy things. Like, what is the proportion between, like, what is the ratio between, like, the size of my eyes to, like, how many of my eyes sizes does it take to get up to my eyebrows? And it's like, oh, oh, I mean, even, like, I mean, like, among most of my classmates, which were predominantly white, it's like, oh, my gosh, like, my proportions are like so not what it should quote should be Mm. um but also like i remember being with like other koreans and they're like yeah your eyes are like small even for an asian person and like Mm. i just had like a lot i mean i i mean i had like a ton of fat like because you know that's what monolids are like i had a ton of fat between in that area Mm -hmm. and i didn't realize it at the time but like there was so much fat up there that it actually affected my, like, it actually went over my iris, like, my pupil a little bit. Uh. So it was actually, like, and I hate to say this, but, like, it was hard to see. Mm. I didn't realize it, but, like, hard to open my eyes until, like, I would, you know, start, like, putting, like, Elmer's glue over my eyelids and, like, folding it up that way. Hmm. Um, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, like, this, this makes sense now. Like, I get it. Um, I mean, obviously, you can't miss what you never had until I started doing that. But mm. I don't know. I mean, I think it's also chronological, perhaps, that mm-hmm. at the very beginning, I remember, I mean, this is like an alternate version of the mm-hmm. intro, which is my brother and um, me at the beach. But mm-hmm. I was with like a friend and my brother and she's white. We mm-hmm. went to the beach and like i remember like looking at like her eyes and then looking at my brother's and i was like wow like the shape of like her bone structure <laughs> the shape yeah. of her bone structure is like it's not even just eyes it's like the way that they're set and it's the way yeah. that they're like like everything and then i looked at my brother's eyes and then i'm like those are the eyes that i have uh-huh. and they're so there's like i mean i, I like sorry brad but like that's like in my own um naive way i was like they're so empty like there's nothing there and i think that's when i really started hyper like focusing on that stuff um so it was like it was pretty chronological i also wanted to the like the process of the book like i think the beginning of the book was meant to be very like it's very I don't know one might say cliche like cliche forms of diaspora like oh I don't really fit in here but I don't fit in there mm. um I don't I you know like the very surface level stuff about like what it means to look different mm-hmm. like and I think that's the intro of it mm-hmm. and then over the book you kind of get into more complex topics like mm-hmm. yeah um it starts to become less and less about like a quote immigrant story and more and more yeah. about like well this is what it's like to grow up Mm-hmm. Um, but it just happens to be from the lens of me. Um, yeah, the Korean American. And I think, yeah. yeah, exactly. And I think, um, yeah, it's supposed to start there and like kind of go deep. Um, and then later it kind of becomes like this whole, I'm back in Korea. Like, mm-hmm. this is weird. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, I don't know. I think that's kind of what it is. Yeah. 
Yeah, I I think it's important actually because the whole like uh, monolith insecurity thing. Well, first of all, like monoliths are the trend nowadays. Like you have actresses yeah. like Park So Dam and Kim Go Eun who are really yeah. like popular in Korean cinema and in K dramas, and it's like I mean they're they're getting recognized as like beautiful. Actresses, beautiful women, and when we, when I was growing up in the '90s and mm-hmm. early 2000s, that was not the case. You know, no. it was like all Eurocentric features. That's all we ever saw. Um, mm-hmm. Like f- even at the time, like we didn't really have like Asian models. You know, like we had Asian oh, no. models who were like half black or half white, but we didn't have mm-hmm. Asian models who had monolids or. You know, like that was not at all cherished as a beauty standard, and yeah. so like it's understandable. Like, oh, for this young girl who's, you know, at at like the peak of her adolescent, right? Like mm-hmm. her adolescent period, like about to enter high school, which is such a frightening and insecure period. Anyway, right. it's like to to not have those standards. In the culture, in the zeitgeist, and to feel an insecurity, which is like what all high school kids feel anyway. To be like, oh, right. do I look weird? Like, do like every high school has that insecurity? Like, oh, I have a flaw, or I'm not perfect, or you know, there's something, and it's like such a shameful, secret thing that they keep to themselves. But you know, you present it in this book. It's like, oh, it's out. It's not a secret. You know, like it's here. Right, and I, I think that does do something that offers some kind of processing for a lot of people. Wait, what do you mean? What's here? Like it's in the book. The whole oh. like sang- the Sangapur thing is in the book. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh so, yeah, no, it's yeah. I I mean, it's something I used to be very secretive about um, mm-hmm. until I like just you know it's it's really nothing to be ashamed about. It's like it's like yeah. a it's just a thing. I mean, yeah. Like plastic surgery, I mean, there's also like gender affirming surgery, which like uh-huh. I mean, it's a whole other thing. But mm-hmm. um, I kind of just want to put it out there. Like I, I just want to show that like I have nothing to hide, and yeah. like, like all my mistakes, like all my worst mistakes, which like are in that book, is just yeah. like that's just what it is. And then like I, I try my best, and I'm that's that's like what it is. It's like not just a sankapur, but it's also the um, like everything else that I was like, I used to be ashamed about that. It's like, well, no, like, how can I, how can you um, push me down when I've already pushed myself down in front of everybody in, oh. a, in a way? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I want to get to that too. Like I'll work incrementally because I was like writing these sure. questions down as I was sort of like revisiting your book and um, like the whole first day of class thing and the name thing. Like mm-hmm. I want to ask you: Did you ever legally change your name to Deb? No. Oh okay. uh, no, it's still Jungjin. Okay, so that's like first of all, Jungjin is not that difficult of a name. Like Jungjin, I know it's is very it's so easy, easy to pronounce. Yeah. So it's, my Korean name is Hyunju, and that was my yeah. legal name for the longest time. Hyunju Hyun is impossible for Americans to ever fucking pronounce. They can't do it. Oh. Yeah. Hyun. So. I had all different kinds of like hallucinated pronunciations of that name throughout my whole wow. life, and I was just like, when I was reading that part in your book, like I felt my body sweating. I, I, oh I, no! It's I felt yeah. your character. I was like, I know exactly what this feels like. 
it's a very visceral feeling. Um, do you know Messy Roots by Laura Gao? I don't. Okay, so Laura is um this is a uh, a memoir that Laura released. It's also a graphic novel mm. last year. But Laura is from Wuhan, so hers was mm. more about like it was like very timely with like COVID and everything. Sure. Uh, but the way that Laura wrote out the exact like the exact delivery of like how her name was mispronounced like mm. before it was Laura mm-hmm. um it was it's like oh it was the exact same way that I I <sighs> delivered mine so it's like it's a very yeah. visceral feeling uh yeah but yeah I mean it's funny like I wish I had like the knowledge of saying this earlier but like I like to say now that like oh it's it's um Jungjin it like sounds like jungle gym mm. or like um one of my my uh, a friend of mine like like to joke that it was like Jungjin and dragons ah yeah yeah i mean i wish i had the able i wish i could like say that and be like yeah i mean think like dungeon and dragons it's like Jungjin and dragons yeah yeah i mean yeah i wish i i knew that back then that would have been really funny because now you have the capacity like the emotional sort of capacity and space to approach it with a sense of humor and lightness and mm-hmm. and, and a willingness to be accommodating right yeah but uh you know for like a young girl like 13 year old girl like that's a big ask i think you know especially when she's dealing with so many insecurities anyway because of her age yeah. and because of her environment which is very microaggressive like it's not just the name thing right it's also you know teachers like mistaking deb for another asian girl like yeah, that's also dude. so common like we've all it was, experienced it was not, it and it was just like it wasn't even just like the names in the in the book it this happened frequently but like when that teacher that specific teacher would give a, give us our like tests or essays back i would look at me like is this is he actually giving me mine or is he giving me that other korean girls yeah like that would happen and i'd be like oh yeah. well it's hers so we gotta yeah. do the switch yeah and it's funny because like sometimes like i think we did this like during class i would be like hey um you gave me hers instead and everyone would be like holy fucking shit uh, like not again. good good for you i'm glad you guys did that because um yeah no like, like oh my god i'm so sorry <laughs> like sometimes that affects grades like i remember in college i was at hunter college for like a year and there was oh yeah a- hunter there was like an adjunct, like a white woman adjunct in an English class. And she would confuse me with another Asian girl who would never <gasps> okay. show up to class. And so she thought I was cutting class, which I wasn't. And like, and I was like, oh, my God, like this problem, is it, it's fucking up our grades. It's not just because she would she would do the same thing. She would hand me that girl's papers and it would be like, a fucking 40 you know what i'm like i like i I know i did the work and she would be like oh and then she would like she wouldn't even fucking apologize she would just hand me my paper but i'm like this bitch thinks i'm the the fuck up in class when i'm not like the fuck up asian girl is not me so it was impacting my grades because she was she would just think like oh she's not showing up to class but there's really no way to prove that and be like right you you're being a racist bitch and you forgot like you keep thinking i'm her and i'm not so you know there's no way you could go back in time like I yeah think, exactly I think it's a much bigger problem than just like an, an annoying thing right it's actually yeah, it's also, it, 
-hmm. it also tells me that like you're not even bothering to try like you're not even bothering to get to know us um as individuals like you see us as like part of like a crowd Um, I mean, this is how I felt in like college. Um, There's this one professor who, I mean, I'm not really sure what her deal is um, or was like, she would send the wrong email to like the wrong Korean dude or like send like the wrong and like do that. But also she would confuse the blondes in her class. So it's like, are you just face blind? Like, I think she might be face blind. That that's a real thing. I know. Yeah. But it's like, but it's like even with names it's like like when you're sending emails it's like yeah that's hmm. a little much um but yeah i i don't know what her deal is but it's like i don't know i mean there were so many asians in my class and there continues to be more and more koreans and that and like as the years go by i noticed that the korean population and like those that program has been getting higher and higher did you did you really go to carnegie mellon I did. I did. I went to the school there of design. There are a lot of Koreans at Carnegie Mellon that I know. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Half the oh, kids yeah. that I grew up with, they all went to Carnegie Mellon. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> it was Carnegie Mellon or Bay- Rutgers. <laughs> are you from the Bay Area? I'm actually from New York. Yeah. Oh. I'm actually from New York. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, um, yeah, they said, like, the first, like, the highest... Um, population from cmu is either like california um new uh new jersey pennsylvania and then new york or something like which makes sense Mm -hmm. um that's really funny uh what was i gonna say yeah no there are a lot of koreans and i feel like sometimes i wonder if my professors like some of my professors like you know purposefully only talk to like the white kids in her class or like the oh. white girls in her class because oh. um, i mean they were like white women professors and it's like you can really get along with the people that you know well but yeah i mean it kind of yeah. like shows that okay well they're not doing great that's not great <laughs> also like you need to like have more representation in your faculty you know what i mean it's, it was a bit like that yes yes and that that so really, really shows yeah. that privilege is real you know like because mm-hmm. uh like I mean, it's like just nowadays, like white people are starting to feel the discomfort of what it means to be accommodating towards others. Whereas like before, it was just like we all had to assimilate to meet their standards or their needs Mm -hmm. or their expectations constantly and tiptoe tiptoe around their comfort levels. I remember like that was like a constant thing, even from my parents. They were like, oh, like you shouldn't speak Korean when white people are around because they get upset. And I'm like, well, Uh, fuck them, you know, like, you know, like, I remember, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but like white kids, especially girls, like complaining about how, um, like their nail salon people would like, if it's a Korean nail salon person, like they talk in Korean and how that would upset them. Like white girls complained about that constantly around me for some reason, even though I'm not a nail salon worker, nobody in my family's a nail salon worker, but they would always complain about that to me, to my face, as if I am the, as if I'm their fucking boss who would put it. I mean, don't you know, I mean, don't you know that there's like only one Asian person in the whole world. And like, if you tell one Asian person, everyone actually hears it. So we put it all in a spreadsheet and we inform all of us. Yeah. 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 I mean, we got to inform the Asian population, this problem of your grievances. Yes. 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 Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, Mm. yeah. Don't you know that if you know one Asian, you know, all of them, you know, all of us just one, if you know one, like, Indian person, you know all the whole entire Asian continent. 
Yeah, like, no, exactly. Um, but but I do I do see like uh, small forms of like kind of an activist mentality behind your work, like how really? you yeah, like how you choose Korean words in the book, how you put hunger in the book, you know, with yeah. no no asterisks you don't have an explanation or translation for every single thing that you write it's just there and if you mm -hmm. can read korean great you get it and if you can't read it then the option for you to go and learn hangul is there and i'm just wondering like how how did you come to make this choice yeah it was also i mean there are like a few things to it the first thing is that i i also felt weird about translating it too like yeah the second thing is that it was also like a logistics problem like i i don't i just don't really want to add more text like uh, asterisks like sure. it's also it also feels like i my intention my full intention going into that whole problem or that situation yeah. was more of i want you to know what it was like for me where i can understand like you know as the character as younger version of me goes into like Korea, like there's more and more Korean. And then I want you to have the feeling of, I can only stand one bits and piece of word at a time. Mm -hmm. Like, but the Korean is there. I didn't want to draw like squiggles or anything. Uh, I want like, it's mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to translate it for you. If you get it, like that's a golden ticket for you. But like, if you don't get it, I mean, it's fine. It's not going to take away from the story. So that's how sure. I like chose like which Korean words to put in and like what English words to put next to that. It's like, you, yeah. even without reading... The Korean, you can still get what's going on, but mm -hmm. um, I didn't. It's like I'm not gonna do that. It was more of like I don't want to do that for you. Like I don't think. Yeah. If you don't get if you yeah um, yeah. And that's, that's what I mean. Like, yeah. That's what I mean by it's like it's like a small form of, it's it's a radical choice. It is genuinely. Um, and I I was like oh that's superb. I love that choice. Because uh, like even even books like like Lolita by Nabokov, for instance, like he includes so many like 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 so much French in there. Sometimes he'll like, you know, use like German or Russian or whatever. And it's like sure. and he doesn't add any translations, you know, like he just yeah. assumes that the literary person reading this book is like, you know, multilingual and they're all Eurocentric, you know, languages, you know, so I'm like, sure. So when I see that in a book written by a Korean American person, I'm just like, oh, I love this. And yeah, do this, like own it, do it. Because I didn't think, yeah, you're right. I didn't even think about that. It's like, major. They, I think they do that. It's they major. think they do that in Jane Eyre as well. Like there's like a lot of French, mm -hmm. but like or, they don't Or Latin or, you know, it's just like a, it's an assumption. It's a, it's an assumption that the person reading this is a wasp who comes from a privileged <laughs> education background you know and uh so i'm just like oh yeah like we could for me what that tells me is like as a creator we can make any choice we want to express ourselves however we please and i was like oh i i love that decision um i i also want to talk about like and this goes back to what we were talking about earlier mm -hmm. about like the model minority myth versus yes. like the actual nitty gritty and reality. So your book does explore child abuse, and uh, I'm an I'm a survivor survivor of extreme uh, physical abuse from my parents growing up, but also from mm -hmm. like the Korean church community, 
parents, yeah, parents of friends, you know, I think like Koreans of that generation, like of like, uh, you know, the generation from like the 50s and 60s and 70s, I think they find it so easy to talk to children in like brutalizing ways, like making (laughs) really insensitive comments and not understanding what the consequence of those comments might be, especially about like our weight or our looks or Mm -hmm. our grades or the most violent one that I've noticed in your book is like comparing, comparing, you know, uh, a child to another kid and be like, well, Mm -hmm. why can't you be like them? So, um, yeah, yeah, like in the journey to putting these instances in your book, I, I was wondering like what the process for you was like mentally and emotionally, because I doubt that it came easily to include these kinds of traumas in your book without feeling conflicted about it at any point because they stem from your own personal life. So I was just wondering like what that process was like for you. I think um, the most painful process was the like, oh, you and this person don't look alike at all like because we were getting confused all the time. So Mm -hmm. it wasn't from my parents. That was like from like other friends, I think. Mm. Like, oh, you and this person look so different. Like she's like born to be a model, like stuff Mm. like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what does that mean? I mean, truth be told, the other other comparisons that I like, I guess are from my parents are more like, I mean, I never really felt, I think even when that happened, I – I don't think I felt a lot of pain from that because I know that that was not what I wanted to do. Hmm. Like, for example, the violin, um, I knew I didn't, I mean, I felt bad because not because my parents told me to feel bad, but because I felt like I was letting other people down. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So that's, that was like one thing, but like, I'm pretty much over, I I feel pretty over that because I know that violin is not for me. Mm -hmm. Um, what else? I think there was like one that you um, that was in the book about like, oh, you're the dentist's kid is like going yeah. to Yale mm-hmm. or something. Mm-hmm. I mean, that one I kind of like made up on the fly. Like, I mean, I've heard that so many times. It's like, yeah. well, do those kids even <laughs> exist? Like, I don't know. Is there one person that is yeah. going to Yale? Yeah. Um, I mean, I feel like that is such a. I mean, it, like my cousin um, is like he's like a physics he was like a physics genius or something like now he's like in korea he uh, like allegedly he's like the top zero one percent of like the students in south korea which is like kind of nutso if you think about it and and i'm like great like great for him like i mean even even um when my mom was telling me this at the time i was like okay well now that's just ridiculous like i yeah I like to aim high, but not like that. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't need to be in the top 0.1% of the kids in Korea. Like, I don't need to be a doctor because that's what he wanted to be. Like, I sure. did not care. Sure. Um, uh, largely, a lot of the trauma that I talked about in the book is pretty processed. Um, yeah, of like, course. As, I don't know, as processed as, like, Lunchables, I guess. But, like, yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I said that. Um, but, like, it's pretty processed. Like, I, I think, like, going to a bunch of therapists over time and just like repeating, like spitting out the same like narrative mm-hmm. over and over again, mm-hmm. just made me feel like very okay with it. Mm-hmm. Like drawing out the, like basically my mom, like my mom basically attempting, like I I struggled to find 
piece at like describing like this, but like the therapists I do talk to are like, no, that's legit. That was it. It was like a murder suicide attempt. Like she was going mm-hmm. through the actions yeah. of that. And that yeah. was the most traumatic event for me, like growing mm-hmm. up, like ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but like I talked about it and I drew about it so many times that like it's like it it just it just happened. Like yeah. Lamau, like I'll LMAO guys, like and then yeah. just like saying that like casually. I mean, it feels very casual at this point, and but like it's casual for men, not many people at all. Like very few people find it not casual. Um yeah. casual. Yeah. Um well Okay, so I guess then you don't feel like when you were putting this that part in the book, it, you didn't feel any like conflict about it at that point, I suppose. What about no, like when you were first conflict. when you were first sort of expressing it? Like was there any sort of um like oh, like is this okay? Cuz the only reason why I ask, I guess I should open up about why I ask. Sure, sure, sure. Um cuz I I also talk about uh like physical assault growing up with my parents in my book, mm-hmm. like a book I'm working on. And cool. It, like writing that, like I do feel conflicted. Cuz I'm like, well, I don't want people to and and there's a point in your book too where you describe it like remember when Deb goes to the movies with Quinn and yeah. you know, she's like, "Oh, but what if the monster's like you know oh i think she wants kate. to say oh with kate sorry and it's it like kate yeah she wants to she wants to talk about like her abuse at home but she can't mm-hmm. like deb can't quite say it you know like there's like a yeah. hesitancy and i'm like oh i understand what that hesitancy is like because it feels a little bit like like a child trying to talk about how their caretaker is abusive there's a conflict that occurs mm-hmm. like you at the one hand, the child wants to protect their parents' reputation. On the other hand, the child wants to describe what what they're suffering, like the reality of their experiences, which is that Correct. they're being hurt. So there's this conflict that is taking place. And I'm wondering, like, when you were first drawing this out or first writing about it or first expressing it out onto the page... Did you experience any sort of conflict or any kind of like messy feelings or thought processes? And how did you get to a point where you could write it down and have a sense of peace with it? I guess that's my question. Hmm. I think just like talking about all the like the the beatings and everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In therapy? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, okay. it's kind of I mean. So my parents already know that I was writing everything about this. Mm-hmm. And like I told them beforehand, like, hey, mom, like this is everything that I'm going to write about. And my mom was mm-hmm. like, yeah, yeah, it's fine. Just just you look pretty. It's OK. Um, <laughs> la, 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 la. Um, I don't know. I I think I knew that like, I don't know. I I have a sort of distance from my parents, like even now of like, yeah. I don't really care. I mean, I care what they think, but like, I don't care that much. Yeah. Or do I? I don't know. Who, yeah. who Do I care about my? Yeah. Like for me, it's like a. It feels like a slap on the. It, it feels like ripping the bandaid off. Uh. You know, like it's like how I do like when I get tattoos and stuff. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I got a tattoo of a noodle dog. Can't do anything about it. Bye. And then, yeah. you know, I don't really ask permission anymore. I just do it. Yeah. But like. Yeah, it's I mean, I'm thankful that my parents are like, yeah, I mean, we're not like that happy with this, but like we're happy you're making a book. And yeah, uh, yeah, which is which is huge. Um, It's your life. Like, I mean, 
I can't like this is what happened to you and you know that is the consequence of our actions I guess yeah um my mom still hasn't read the book but I honestly don't expect her to <laughs> yeah it's fine okay. like I'm not upset by it that's great my, I think I has, think though. oh yeah what does he think yeah I mean he he was like I think he told me that he was quite impressed with the book I mean, it's a little uncomfortable for him. Like, I mean, that's what he said, but he did read it a couple of times and he was like, yeah, he was yeah. like, wow, like that was uncomfortable, but like you did a great job. I mean, that's so, that's the way that he like is. Um, okay. He's very yeah. like, I mean, I don't love this, but like, I'm really happy that it was this. It, it, it's kind of like, it's supportive. how he, he, yeah. he's supportive, um, yeah. but he that's like how he just, describe my first tattoo which was um which is this one oh, um, cool. he was like uh, like my mom hated the tattoo ob obviously but yeah. my, my dad was like oh i mean like i liked your skin the way it was before but like that's a nice tattoo <laughs> <laughs> he was like i know i hate it but like that i'm glad i'm glad you got that one and then yeah much yeah. to his um yeah. much to his a uh, slight disappointment i got like yeah you know, many many more so good good for you um, so <laughs> yeah. okay then that's great so it does I guess like it does kind of come with the peace that you've made with your parents too like like you kind of yeah. sought their in a way you kind of sought their consent not like not like if they didn't consent you wouldn't do it it's more just like letting them know like oh this is going to be in the book and I, maybe that helps with the the conflict part but okay um i i really loved how much uh support deb has actually in the book like because like yeah on the one hand you know she's suffering all this inner grief and turmoil but there mm -hmm. are these like ain't like angels around her too like her violin teacher for instance who encourages yeah. her to pursue her art and the anecdote he shares about his former student who became a lawyer but who made that elephant painting and i thought that's such an angelic moment right and i think quinn was also like an angelic influence on deborah because yeah. quinn is like such a bright personality uh, mm -hmm. who helps her overcome her shame around her Korean identity in a way. So yeah, like talk about the angel influences in your book a little bit. I really love the way you describe that. Um, yeah, I mean, that was one. So there are like most of the characters of that book are like generic versions of like other people that I know. Mm -hmm. So the only people that I put in like t likeness, um, same likeness, same name, mostly the same name um or like is like those those are like my parents my brother mm -hmm. kate and mm -hmm. the violin teacher mm. um partially because he i mean i didn't feel bad about like covering i i, I could have used his real identity if i wanted but like it's like he didn't do anything wrong um he was mm. the first person that my parents listened to who was like oh okay you, this person that we really respect thinks mm. that Deb should do art instead mm. and they're mm -hmm. like you know what maybe we can try this out like let's I mean because before um they got the approval of like this person that they like respected they were like oh yeah. I mean can you really survive on being an illustrator yeah. the answer is not really I mean they're yeah. right but um <laughs> I mean they're not wrong uh but that's not the illustrator's fault yeah but yeah that that was the first person that they were like oh my gosh like Deb can actually do this if they uh -huh. wanted um, yeah, 
Yeah. So that was really nice of um, Harry. Uh, his yeah. Um, yeah. Or his, as his name was in the book, I believe. Um, yeah. I get that confused. Quinn is interest. I think Quinn is a really interesting character to dissect. Um, yeah. Quinn is actually two people. Mm. Um, IRL. Quinn. There's a version of Quinn. Um, whose name is Shirley, who mm-hmm. has the appearance of Quinn, mm. um, like, you know, blonde, curly hair, also like a goddamn genius. She was mm. one of those people like um, in our school, you know, like you barely studied for the SATs and yet you got a full score. Yeah. Like, yeah. Come yeah. on, dude. Um, for sure. Yeah. They exist. Yeah, so she was one of the, they exist. I mean, things come with funny. ease. <laughs> it's interesting. Okay. This is like a bit, ta- a bit of a tangent, but like, I always feel like those people who are so smart, who are like way smarter than like they need to be Uh. end up like doing things that like they want to and not because society tells them to. Uh So, you Mm -hmm. know, like becoming a farmer instead or like running a coffee shop or like, I don't know, like doing all these things that like when people expect you to cure cancer, they're like, I don't want to do that. Like, I want to like travel the world and like teach English or something. Like, yeah. And that's actually Shirley's thing is um, linguistics now, but everyone expected her to cure cancer because she was yeah. like that smart, but she didn't want to do that. Right. Anyway. Um, yeah. Off. Yeah. So, and the other part of Quinn that is uh-huh. the drama, I like to call them the drama Quinn, uh-huh. um, is a closeted gay boy in my mm-hmm. school. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is the Quinn where all the drama, all uh-huh. the conflict went down. Yeah. Um, yeah. Drama Quinn, I'll call I'll, like Drama Quinn was, um, yeah, like he was the like he was the person that like made me feel like I have nothing to be ashamed about about who I am. Like he was the person that everyone was friends with. Like anyone could talk to him. He could talk yeah. to anybody, um, but he still had like his like reservations about you know like do not give a he was like do not give a fuck about what people think about you because nobody's mm-hmm. thinking about you the way that you you are thinking about you mm. you know mm-hmm. and i think that was one of my first like revelations that why am i so concerned with how everybody sees me mm-hmm. when like no one really sees me that like you know um what did he say I think he was a start of how I started to like stand up for myself. Like he was the very like first thing that taught me how to do that. Um, yeah. I mean, someone remembered, recalled like in senior year where like, oh yeah, like I was really, sh- they were telling their, fr- their, this was like a popular, really popular girl. And she was like telling her friends that this somehow got back to me Yeah. of like, yeah, holy shit. Like I said something and like Deborah, like, disagreed with me like vocally disagreed with me and that's like a big deal apparently yeah. me disagreeing with people which yeah, yeah. for now it's like no one blinks when I disagree with them like right, right. Um, uh, yeah so that was like I mean because I used to be I used to hyperventilate like mm. when I would raise my hand I used to yeah. cry when I had to talk in front of class and yeah I was a very shy and quiet person and yeah. now I'm like a loud animal. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, it's really hard for people to see that I was once that person. Cause like that was like drama Quinn was the start of it all. Um, yeah. Where I felt like I could truly stand up for myself. 
Yeah. So it's yeah. just a shame that that fell apart. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like, you know, Drama Quinn was also like an angelic influence on you in that regard, helping you uh, grasp your voice, right? Like, yeah. Helping no, little really Deb grasp their voice. Yeah. I, I thought that was like really great because at that age like we do need like supporters like little people who say like it's okay and it's interesting how your parents needed the same thing they needed an authority figure to say yeah mm. like deb can go and do art and it's like in what ways like were our parents children like that you know like i mean deb also oh. talks about it in therapy like she's like well my mom is so immature she's like a child and it's like, well, I mean, aren't all immigrants children because they're, you know, perpetually stuck in a certain state when they were treated like an equal. They were treated like, you mean, for instance, like, you know, Deb's are, mom. Are you saying, yeah. <laughs> like Deb's mom. I was going to say. Sorry. I was going to say, like, do you mean that they're in limbo? They're in limbo. Exactly. Sorry, yeah, actually, that's great. Totally. That's perfect. Because uh, I was like, well, how did you come to that? I wanted to ask you that too. But um, yeah, like they are, they are stuck in that place in that certain past. And it's not, they're not stuck there because of any fault of their own. They're stuck there mm -hmm. because America doesn't treat them as an equal. Like for instance, yeah. um, a lot of like, you know, when I went to college, like I saw quite a few Koreans who already had college degrees in Korea at excellent oh, wow. universities in Seoul, but they would, you know, move to the States and then they would have to go to college again in their mid twenties. And, and because their oh. degree in, in South Korea was not recognized here in America. And I wonder if like, maybe, you know, Deb's mom, because, you know, she studied at Iwade, which is a great university where she was oh, yeah. a librarian and librarians in Korea make good money. I know this because- Is my, that true? Yeah, my, my maternal aunt is a librarian and she makes a pretty good living and, you know, is very comfortable with her life and librarians are respected they're kind of respected like you know like a teacher in a way um so you know it's like to not have that part of you recognized in this country and to be treated in that way does make one feel as if they need to go and seek permission from authority figures forever right like in 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 deb's case like in your case it's like oh you found your voice and you're like oh now i am my own boss but for yeah. Koreans, I think when they're always in this perpetually in this state of like, I, I don't know the language as well. I don't know the system as well. I'm not treated like an equal here. Then they will always feel like, like a child in a way, like a little kid. Mm -hmm. So I, it's like an interesting parallel I'm seeing between your character and your parents' characters in the book. You know? Damn, I didn't even think about that. Um, yeah, I mean... Yeah, I mean, luckily, there were more people after my um, violin teacher who were like, pretty figures that were like, no, Deb can do this. Like, mm. They have the ability to they have the, I mean, I hesitate to call this like, talent, or whatever, like, they have the brain to do this. And like, they actually like it. Um, yeah, yeah, and, they like it. Yeah, I mean, I, the yeah, most important I like part. it. <laughs> Yeah, I actually enjoy. I mean, I do like still. I mean, do you ever like? Were you, did you have to play like uh, a classical instrument growing up? Like piano. Uh, or I mean, piano. Or yeah, flute. Yeah, but I never excelled at either of them. So it was just like a bit of a yeah. waste. 
Yeah. Do you like, I mean, I wish I can play the piano and violin again, but um, mm-hmm. now that's like, I want to do it for fun. Like I want to do yeah. it because I want to. Exactly. Um, yeah. Like I would love to take piano lessons again or like something like, I don't know. I want to do stuff <laughs> Um. Yeah. that no one is putting like, like a metaphorical gun to my head to do it, but it's like, exactly. Exactly. Just do it you want to. Exactly. Um, yeah. Have you yeah. have you seen that beef yet? It's on Netflix. Oh, I keep hearing about it. What do you what yeah. do you think? I think it's one of the best shows ever. Like really? one of okay. the I, I think it's one of the <laughs> in terms of like a Korean American like show influence, I think this is the best one there ever was in America, in American wow. history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, what the Koreans are just like taking over, man. Um well, well, I mean, the Koreans were always taking over, but it's another level when it's the, <laughs> when it's the Korean Americans, because the Korean Americans never had a time to shine ever in this country, ever, 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 ever. Korean Americans are truly like a different breed from Koreans. Like it's just 100%. like that's why at Carnegie Mellon there's a KSA and there's a KASA, Kasa yeah. and Kasa. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. It's just, we're just very different. Um, very different. There's like a whole, there's a, it's like a third cult. I mean, people call it a third culture, but it really is. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like yeah. there's a way that Korea or Asian Americans talk, like their accents. And uh-huh. it's not because it's not like a, there's, there's no like, like accent just because they speak a different language, but like an accent of like the way it's like, it's not a dialect, but it's the way that they enunciate their words, Asian yeah. Americans that, yeah. I can hear them from across the room from behind me. And I'm like, I know that's an Asian American behind me from right. SoCal. Totally. Like I can tell. Totally. Um, totally. Uh, yeah. What? Yeah. I don't know where I was going with that, but something, what were we talking about? We were talking about violin, talking about yeah, piano, violin, violin. And, and beef a little bit. Oh, but, beef. Um, yes. Trying to finish succession. <laughs> Cause I, you know, oh yeah. Succession. Right. Another great show. Another great show. Ugh. But yeah, I was Ugh. I was like very proud of um like Lee Sung-jin sort of representing Korean Americans with beef because I'm like this is a whole nother story. It's not and it doesn't get told in this way. It's always told it from like like a perpetual immigrant standpoint and this doesn't do that. So I appreciate they really they just have okay. They don't really ha- they just happen to it. be Asian American. Exactly. I'm like, finally, 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 a show that does this. Because before, they never did it. They never, ever, ever even tried to do it. And now it's happening. And I'm like, so happy that it's out there. Um, Can I? I yeah. yeah. I just want to say, like, future projects that I want to make are, you know, not just projects that's about, like, anti-imperialism, anti-military, because I think there's not a lot of I haven't seen a lot of books that's like less about the diaspora and more about like, like the effects that like Korea had to go through from like war and occupation and stuff. Like I really want to like do that kind of project one day, but also make projects where it's like the characters just happen to be Asian. Like it's fine. Like, and there's no, there's no like trauma. There's no like, Uh like I also want to, I mean, I want to make different, like different kinds of stories where it's like, Let's talk about Koreans like that are just like in a really weird like fantasy world. Like, what does yeah. that look like? I also yeah. want to make a. There's a story I have in mind where it's like it's like a sci-fi story, but like the main character is Korean, mm-hmm. um, but like they're also trans. Like you know, yeah. like I, the trans yes. community 
for Koreans is like mm-hmm. abysmally low. Like I don't like I was like go- googling on YouTube or you I was YouTube searching like mm-hmm. um transition process like Asian like like Asian person or Asian okay. Asian trans like transitioning process. And mm-hmm. like the videos I saw were like they only have like a thousand views, which is like mm. crazy to me. It's like mm. we need more of this. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Korea has a I mean, Korea's relationship with the queer community is is difficult, but in other ways it's like in weird spurts they're highly progressive. Like uh like Harisu is like, you know, really? an actress and singer and you know, she's a trans woman and you no know, way. she was yeah, she's been around since the '90s, and she's what? accepted as a celebrity. Yeah, girl, get to know them. Oh, I'm sorry, you you go by they. Yeah, I, I do, I sorry do. I am that. a they them. No, that's yeah. fine. Um, um, that's fun. That's hilarious. Yeah, but yeah, wow. like like how do you sue's huge in 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 Korea in the culture, and uh, she's recognized as a woman. And um, you spell what H A R I. H a r i s u, Harisu, yeah, yeah. Oh, Harisu. Okay, okay. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, like, like you could start with her, and you know, and there's a lot written about. Wow. Uh, Sorry. There's a lot written about the Korean queer community, like in academia. I could like send you articles. Like I've oh, written please. one for sure. That's... Like you know. You send them so yeah, me. I could send those to you. Um, but yeah, like let's let's uh get back to your book and then yeah. you know we can wrap because i don't want to eat up too much of your time i um, do have therapy at noon <laughs> <laughs> okay so we should really wrap up like in the next three minutes then um, uh okay then let's go to let's just talk about your heroes then like who are your graphic yeah. novel heroes and, oh my god um yeah and next project so, stuff if anything yeah um let's see do you know the book um, this is Yonsei Hong, but Umma's Table is also really good. Okay, it's like uh, it's pretty much like bio. It's definitely auto bio, but like uh-huh. it's real. It's about like it's translated from Korean. Um, these are not graphic novels, but like Brian Selznick, um, who wrote Hugo Cabret, is also mm-hmm. like one of my first inspirations um, to draw in the style that I do draw currently mm-hmm. for the book. Mm. um it's all like black and white like pencil graphite and like it's like a thick book and it's just half of it is just drawings half of it is text and i i think i want to make stuff like that um yeah who else uh the arrival by sean tan is also another really good book oh, it's like i pretty love much a novel. i love that film that it's based on oh no right? no, no no it's um no, the arrival. No? There's the sci-fi film, and there's a it, oh, like fantasy Im- immigrant got story. It, got it. Because uh, I think the arrival yeah. was also written by an Asian American writer. The short story. Oh. That based on. Yeah, yeah. That's so okay. funny. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah, but the arrival by Sean Tan, um, who okay. also blurbed the book, which I was. I like, saw. Yeah, yeah. it's a huge one. Crazy. Big name. Huge, Very impressive. Big name. Yeah. Um. Who else? Um. Inyo Asano, who wrote Goodnight Pun Pun, it's a manga. Um, I have a tattoo of it, um, but it's like his work is like deeply fucked up and like every trigger warning you can think of is in there. Um, (laughs) This is actually a really good friend of mine, but um, Rosemary Valero O'Connell who did this. Don't Go Without Me. And um, she also illustrated um, Laura Dean Keeps Breaking Up With Me, which is another graphic novel 
but rosemary is like one of the most like she's like a golden child and also a very good person and i adore her um but yeah it's really cute because i feel like rosemary and i have this relationship where we're like i use you as my inspiration and she's like like it's like um really sweet because i had yeah. these books i had her books um on my table while i was working on in limbo and she yeah. was telling me after limbo came out it's like i need to keep this book on my desk so i can like yeah. study it and i was like oh. yeah oh. i love that <laughs> and i yeah, and, so I, and my... I love i loved your book too it was so beautifully illustrated and um yeah i i'm excited to see like what what other works you're gonna cook up because yeah you're very talented and and i love the kind of specific like themes that you put your focus on which i i think easily get overlooked but they're yeah. significant and worthy of attention so yeah thank you for appreciate that. making this wonderful book and thank you so much for your time today it was such a pleasure thank you so much you. for having me